Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, phone, and security services. Smithville. Local Pride, Global Technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering gourmet pizzas, hot submarine sandwiches, and salads with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com. 332-4495 for delivery. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, and along with Mary Catherine Carmichael, my co-host. And today, we're going to talk about suicide prevention. Joining us in the studio are author and counselor D. Burt and psychiatrist Dr. Jonathan Beavers. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or... 877-285-9348 if you're outside of the Bloomington calling area. And you can join the discussion at our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Welcome both of you to the program. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thanks for being here. This is a very serious uh, topic and something that uh, I think we should get lots of calls and mm-hmm. interest, interest. And timely. In, right? The holidays very are timely. a rough time of year. That's right. For many. Yep. I want to start by uh, – Anybody with a family, yeah, for asking, example. <laughs> D, I, D, I just want to ask you about your book. You're an author. So could you uh, describe what you've done, what kind of a book you've done? I have a book with a lot of uh, personal stories, but it is set up chapter by chapter to follow the grieving process or at least the stages. People will go back and forth and there's no set way you know, to grieve. However, each chapter does take into consideration a stage of bereavement. Mm-hmm. So this is for the survivors of people who are left behind? It's definitely for the survivors mm-hmm. because with, oh goodness, nationwide, annually, there are 30,000 suicides. And that also translates into leaving six to ten survivors per suicide individual. So now we have 300,000 survivors who could benefit by having some sort of plan. And that in my book has, is set up where after each chapter – there are journal entries, so the book becomes personalized. Mm-hmm. What are the uh, what, what are those numbers uh, showing us? Thirty thousand suicides. You said that's in the throughout the country. Yes. Right, um, uh, doctor. Is that number rising, uh, staying steady? Well, I think as a percentage of the population, it's generally steady. There's mm-hmm. there have been uh, ages that at various times have peaked and then subsided. You know. Right now, we're very concerned about the um, number and percentage in the military. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is because of the, the advance and the, the stress they've been under. And at um, times in the past, there were elevations, particularly of adolescence in the 90s. There were large peaks. And um, so people are always looking to try and find some, some correlation between everything from classroom size – to the suicide rate in terms of are people available to meet the needs of, of children to any, any factor you can think of. Pe- people try to pull it up, look at it, and understand it. Well, I know that you know, being a newspaper editor, we have often had – I've had discussions with various people in the mental health profession about um, how to cover suicide mm-hmm. in print. Um, there – Early in my career, we had a story about a young man who would committed suicide and I put on the front page. He was a very popular young guy and I heard a lot about um, you know, this notion of copycat if you, if you write a story or, or sort of um, make somebody who's killed himself look glamorous or get all this praise that it might lead to somebody else doing it. And then I've heard that there's research that says that's not necessarily true. Can you shed some light on that, either one of you? Well, I think that there's truth in that because it and again it is an individual um decision and whatever makes that person um go over 
and allow themselves to just be once once they're in a dark hole of deep depression the, i believe that the, the depression takes over um there are 100 youth suicides each week and that also translates to 1000 survivors teen usually survivors each week and it is a topic that they don't often know how or exactly what that child what is going through their heads because they may say nothing don't you know leave me alone i don't want to talk they may um, sleep for long periods of time and wake up tired and withdraw from friends i think one of the best things that all these teenagers can do is to put this helpline in their cell phones. And it's 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255 because they need something in their back pocket to give them a resource for help. Mm-hmm. And that would be a resource for them even if they had a friend that they were concerned about, right? Yes. And I, I've talked to a lot of teenagers um, about depression and suicide. And one boy recently said, don't just get them all pumped up like, you know, they're wonderful and then leave. He said, if someone is that depressed, don't leave them alone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you would want them to go see um, a family physician or go to a hospital where they can be assessed, something like that. Mm-hmm. One thing that the – well, a couple of things that the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention does is there are a couple of DVD programs, and one of them is called More Than Sad, and that is for high school students. And the other one is called The Truth About Suicide, and that's for college students. And the whole idea around these DVD programs is to make it okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's smart to ask for help, and I think that that is the message that we want to get out there. Mm-hmm. Well, and the issue about copycats that uh, you know, I think the alternative of not reporting it is that then it's back in the closet, which mm-hmm. we we were right. here to say that's not what we want. Mm-hmm. So you know, yes, there may be some copycat response by some, certainly with the school incidents. You know, the the um, the week after one of those here in Bloomington, we'll assess four or five kids who very, very closely say the same words or make the same threats. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I think you just, you know, you have to get better at how you report the information and the safety net you build so that when the information is there, you're with them, explain it, make it okay to talk about, mm-hmm. and then try and move on. Yeah, uh, Dr. Beavers, I think we can't really talk about suicide without talking about – we've already already mentioned depression because depression is uh, – it's, it's not a matter of, uh, well, just snap out of it or, you know, you, you've been sad a long time. Come on. There's nothing to be that sad about. Could you yeah. talk about the, you know, the illness of depression and how that can lead to, to something like suicide? Sure. We uh, had mentioned a little bit, I think, about the, uh, the seasons and, you know, when I think really of – of the holidays, I think more of blues. Um, people of the holidays often think about past holidays and things that maybe didn't go the way they hoped, and there may be a little melancholy, but it's specifically related to the holiday. They can tell you exactly what it's about, and they know it's going to go away. Depression is pretty much just the opposite. There, you can't put your finger on a stressor or I feel bad today because, or it's been so long you can't remember what it was in the first place. Mm-hmm. So it's maintaining on its own without necessary stressors or events to trigger it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then it affects the body. So you have sleep, appetite, energy, memory, concentration, sex drive, all kinds of basic uh, functions affected. And... Uh, you know, then is unrelenting. So it just goes and goes and goes till someone does something about it, one way or another. 
All right. Our phone number is 855-0811-877-285-9348. You can join the discussion at our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Uh, we're talking about suicide prevention today and we were just talking a little bit about depression. I think it's a very important program and we hope that you'll uh, listen in and give us a call if you have any questions or any concerns. Our guests again are uh, author and counselor D. Burt and psychiatrist Dr. Jonathan Beavers. You know, doctor, when you said <clears throat> that the blues, with the blues, you know they're going to go away. But it seems like youth are so particularly vulnerable because they lack the life experience to know that there are peaks and valleys and, you know, things do get better. So I think it's just, again, so important that we're here and um, encouraging young people especially to talk about this. And I hope that as the program goes on, we'll be able to give parents um, some some tips on uh, some other things to look for and how to handle this. We've had an email that came in, though. Let me get, go ahead and get to that, and, and we can jump back to that maybe. Um, this email wants to know, what can survivors do to help them through the grieving process? Either whoever. Okay. Well, as I said earlier, I have set my book up to do a lot of journaling I think people need and they need to seek out people who will listen to them in a very non-judgmental way whether that's a family member a professional a friend they should not be interrupted they should also um, seek people who will help them sort out the guilt One thing about a death by suicide, it leaves the survivors with so much guilt. And often the survivors are more at risk than someone who has lost someone else. And so those kinds of things um, help if you have someone you can speak to and also if you keep a journal. And in my book, I have several um, journal prompts at the end of each chapter, which and some of them may have to do with just the the, the funeral service. Sometimes those are very disappointing, and if but if people just carry that on, if you write it down, you get it out. There are a lot of people, myself included, back in 1987, who will run the last conversation around and around in their heads and change it where the person didn't die. You know, they actually said something that changed that person's decision. Well, when you catch yourself doing that over and over again, you need some you need something to stop that. And that could be seeing a psychiatrist or a counselor. Um, I think it's important if they are prescribed medicine that they also have some sort of physical thing that they do. Um it's it's just like people exercise? need to get out. Yes, uh-huh. e- exercise. One thing um, when uh, I had three little children at the time, um, my husband died, and it was in the summer. Well, the first Christmas, and I'm I'm bringing this up especially because it's close to Christmas, and children want they have lots of questions and. You needed for me. I needed to do something with them, and we created a wreath. And it's actually in chapter nine of my book, um, the chapter called "Rituals," where each child brought some memento, you know, from their toy box or their jewelry box, and we we told lots of stories while we were wrapping all these on this wreath, and then we carried the wreath to the well. We drove and talked, um, left it at the cemetery. Those are things, a lot of things that popular in high schools are um, like memory books, um, memory web pages, getting involved with uh, the American Foundation uh, Out of the Darkness Walks, getting around some other people to help carry you and support you. Mm-hmm. Those are all things that help survivors. Survivors of suicide groups. Mm-hmm. It's a support group, much like 12-step meetings, except for survivors. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you, you know, professionals, it's fine to help people. You know, I'm, I'm certainly endorse that as a psychiatrist. But when people hear it from somebody who's been through it before, then it's all different. The, mm-hmm. edu- the education and the advice and the 
then it really hits mm-hmm. home so much more than than any other person Instant can. Instant credibility, do that. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You right. actually do know how I feel. Right. Yes, more so than anybody else. Now, Dean, you mentioned your kids. How old were they? One, five, and eight. So, what's the uh, sort of difference in in the grieving and the um, you know how a, a child will accept uh, suicide in the family compared to an adult? Are there differences and different ways to deal with that? With each child, each personality, there's going to be a different way. And that's why I called my book One Side of Suicide because I couldn't really get in their heads and really know exactly what they were thinking and and such. However, um, you know, one was very closed, you know, just kind of took it in, was very shocked at the time of when we found that he had died and I found out how um, she was five years old and asked how he died. And for a couple of minutes, I actually had a list of natural ways that he died. I mean, I they were fast, but something just didn't let me do that. So... Um, and then the one-year-old, in in a lot of ways, um, kind of didn't process for a few years, really kind of a, a long time, be, you know, because um, it it was different for her. And um, then the oldest was very angry, but also felt very guilty that he should have called a doctor. And children will do that, and that's why it's so, so important. Um, And I didn't do this perfectly. This was over 20 years ago, Um, and I've changed a lot since that time. It's so important to reassure them that it is not their fault. Mm -hmm. And I think that if with anyone, that would be one of the best things to do, that 90% of suicides – or individuals who have suicided had a diagnosable mental illness at the time of their death. Mm -hmm. And so for a child, you might say, well, you know, they had a sickness inside their brain that we couldn't see Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I really felt like I should have been able to read his mind. And I think there are a lot of other people out there like that too. I know, Doctor, you mentioned um, the survivor of suicide group and how um, individuals will relate to other support people, and I felt the same way. I, in fact, in the meeting, I wanted to just speak to someone who had experienced it, and and were and they were happy again mm. to show you that that was possible. Yes, I mm-hmm. needed to see that that was possible yeah. because you know I had I had thoughts. I didn't want them, but I had suicidal thoughts over the the months after that happened. And believe me, it wasn't anything I I. I wanted – I didn't say, well, okay, I'm going to think about this right now. No, they just pop right in sure. there. Sure. Yeah. Well, you had to be incredibly hurt and angry. Mm-hmm, very. Yeah. I can. Uh, I cannot imagine. Yeah. yeah. All right. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811-877-285-9348 or join us on the website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, we really ought to talk about some, um, you know, some tips, some ways to identify if someone may be in more trouble than – you know, you might other, otherwise think, Doctor. You were talking about the blues versus, you know, I guess clinical depression. Would mm-hmm. that be the term? Right. Um, so, you know, this let's say this holiday season, somebody's noticing that uh, one of their family members isn't acting as they usually might. How can they determine whether it's something to be concerned about? And then what, too? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I you know I think for me the first point is that you ask somebody how they're doing, and that I know. Sounds very simple, but you know, lots of families. It's don't talk, don't don't feel, don't uh, just keep everything quiet. We'll we'll slide through. And if, if somebody's not themselves, the first thing is you ask, "What's going on?" You know, you're not yourself this year, or you know, the, the spouse can tell you, you know, they haven't slept till two a.m. the last three months or whatever it is, and you think, "Well, how have they ever gotten through all these weeks like like that?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you always watch for those those symptoms of depression. And then as the time goes by, if someone, you know, we, we have patients who um, give away everything important. 
photos a kid gives his bicycle away. I mean, things that you know, the, the most important items they have. Uh, then that, of course, is very troublesome. Not everybody leaves a note. Some people, though, write notes that don't say, uh, I'm going to hurt myself. They just say goodbye or I hope you'll forgive me. Uh, and certainly any, any kind of letters like I'm not going to see you again or something, you know, that lots of people I think try to minimize it and say, oh, you know, I know they feel bad, but – and on the other hand, you know, we really just need to heighten our awareness and get people in and get them evaluated and make sure they're mm-hmm. okay. And, you know, the worst thing that can happen is they say, okay, I'm okay. I'm, you know, yeah. that's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's so much better than just stand back and watch and then be, re- you know, regret it. Mm-hmm. We're going to follow up on this in a minute, but we have a phone call. So let's go to the phone and it's Stan. Stan? I'd be curious to know, uh, given the discussion about teenagers, whether or not there are any programs in high schools where uh, the kids themselves can get together in a group led by a professional, whether it's a school nurse or a counselor to discuss these things and, and, and get mutual support that way. I'll hang up now. Okay. Thanks, Dan. At uh, Meadows, uh, Bloomington Meadows here in town, I'm medical director there, and, and uh, the Jason Foundation is an organization that we have joined with, and it's a, a countrywide group in, in America that uh, provides materials, um, speakers, information uh, for suicide prevention. And they have a curriculum for K through 12 that can be introduced in the schools and used. We have a speaker's panel. We have various things. So some, some schools utilize that to have a um, discussion t- uh, time, not like it's a whole career course or a, s- a semester or anything, but a, a workshop. Or, mm-hmm. All right. Dee, do you know of any programs like that? I know that after a death, a lot of times the counselors will get together and maybe for once a week for a few weeks meet with students. I don't know of an ongoing other than the two DVD programs that I mentioned earlier that are available for high schools to use. I know there are things out there. I am not the person to have yeah. all mm-hmm. that knowledge, but I'm sure that if you were to inquire at a website, whether it's um, AFSP.org, and ask about where those, you know, where in the country they have programs like that or the American um, Association of Suicidology. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we've got uh, – I've got several directions I want to mm-hmm. go with this program, but we're about at halftime, so I think I'll, we'll take a short break now. Um, we have two guests with us today, author and counselor D. Burt and psychiatrist Dr. Jonathan Beavers. We're talking about uh, suicide and suicide prevention. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. Listening to Noon Edition on member supported WFIU. Production support comes from Closets 2, Smithville Telephone Information at Smithville.net, and from Mother Bear's Pizza at MotherBearsPizza.com. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, or short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, as well as movie, play, and opera reviews. Find out more by going to our website, WFIU.org. And have you heard WFIU's news features? On Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the WFIU news team brings you expanded and in-depth reports on topics affecting south-central Indiana. Listen at 8.33 a.m. and 5.45 p.m. every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to catch that day's feature. If you miss one, that's okay. They're archived on our website, WFIU.org, and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at 7.45. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. 
Today our topic is uh, suicide and suicide prevention. Joining us are author and counselor Dee Burt and psychiatrist Dr. Jonathan Beavers. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 or go to our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. You can find out how to send us an email from there. Uh, we were talking uh, in the 90 seconds or so we were mm-hmm. off break about how mental illness and depression is a mental illness has a, a stigma to it and people are sometimes reluctant to to um, admit that maybe somebody in their family needs help from a mental disorder while they wouldn't if, – if they saw somebody with a broken arm, they'd take them to the hospital right away. Could you react to that, doctor? Sure. Um, you know, I think we've come some ways from that. Uh, my, I grew up in Seymour and my mother was a special education teacher there. And from the 40s on, she could tell stories about going to basements in the Jackson County, Bartholomew County area to see kids to get them to come to school because they were mentally retarded, developmentally dislayed, or mentally ill. So, I mean, that's not that long ago. Um, And, you know, today it's less so, but, you know, um, it's just still a a part, I think, of I. Uh, what about my grandchildren? If this is my son-in-law that killed himself, what does that say about my grandchildren? Do I want people to think that my grandchildren might have depression too because it's a genetically inherited illness? And so there are all those kind of questions that people have and, you know, we're, we're still working on it's no different than heart disease. It's mm-hmm. no different than, than diabetes. Um, We've had some help in terms of parity with insurance to move it out of out of that dark ages of that area. And that took a long time. Oh, it sure has. Yeah. And there's still a lot of limitations that are not it's it's not equal yet, but it's better than better than it was. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just, you know, thinking along these same lines that um, I know our family, we have a very strong history of depression in our family. And so, you know, I've gone ahead and warned my son, hey, you're going to need to be really aware of this and, some, you know, pay extra attention to yourself because it's something you're, you might be predisposed for. And I, I hope that, you know, other people who are aware of that in their family can be open enough. And, and is that something you encourage people to do is, is you know, actually warn their kids? I think that it's extremely important. I think with genetics in all kinds of areas, whether it's alcoholism or whatever, that it's prudent to tell the truth to your families so they can be on the alert. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it's, you know, the old saying, a stitch in time saves nine. It's much better. Prevention is much, uh, much better than having to clean it up afterwards. It's. I, I believe that everyone um, feels much safer when they have, for example, a first aid kit in their house. They know where to go if someone gets hurt that they can deal with. Well, they need a first aid kit for the emotions as well. And I believe that children and all of us need to be taught at an early age where to go. You know, do not be afraid to ask an adult. Mm-hmm. And in that first aid kit would be phone numbers, would would be websites, would be songs, because we have lots of disappointments and losses. And again, with the cell phones and the texting, um, some of the scandalous things that are being spread all over campuses and, mm-hmm. and such, that's devastating for a person. And this is all very new in our in this generation and i don't believe that they're equipped to deal with the pain that comes from having terrible things said about you and made public so first aid kits in in um in that sense mm-hmm. need to be people need to be equipped with that's that's certainly an angle that that i hadn't thought of i wasn't anticipating coming up today but that's a great mm-hmm. um a great issue that people ought to be more aware of. I'm really glad you brought it up, the thought that so we, we hear all the time that somebody sends out you know, pictures that maybe aren't positive or sends – people can now, now send out a, uh, something that's totally made up and fabricated mm-hmm. and it can taint somebody's reputation pretty badly. So yeah, so that can certainly set off some 
bad feelings and some depression. I want to ask about drugs and alcohol. You brought up you know, alcoholism. But how do drugs and alcohol contribute, if they do, to suicides? Um, the best way I know to put it is, you know, it's gasoline on the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, people who uh, we know if someone drinks or takes drugs that they're liable to do things they wouldn't any other time, makes them impulsive and have less tolerance and they're short-tempered. And then you put that in on job stress, financial problems, history of depression, and it just makes everything worse. So it's, it's often um, a part of a suicide. Either the person needed to get to that point to be able to go ahead and do what they'd planned to do yeah. or lots of addicts have this picture that that's the way to go. They get to take as much as they ever hope to take, but the, the intent is that that will be the last time they ever do it. But that's kind of the... Most addicts talk a lot about that's the way they expect to go out. And an interesting kind of place that we see um, where people are really at high risk are people who have been in recovery for a number of years and then for whatever reason relapse. Mm. You know, get um, an illness and they get put on uh, opiate pain medicines and very quickly see they're just as addicted to that as they had been to alcohol 20 years ago. They're at very high risk because they don't want to go back through all that again. Mm-hmm. And so I've known a number of people who, you know, in this high risk, men are much more likely to commit suicide. Women try more often. Mm-hmm. But when, when, when men do it, it's with highly lethal means, guns, mm-hmm. often. And so I've, I've known a number of, of um, recovering men, for whatever reason, just didn't get back to their meetings and things and ended up uh, having a suicide, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, we have a phone call. Let's go to Rob on the phone. Rob? Yes, I was wondering if, if you have someone, a friend or, or a family member who calls you that says that uh, they're feeling suicidal, how are some ways or what are some ways that you can guide them to, to seek um, additional help? Okay, good question. D? 911 is comes to mind first even though you may be afraid that a police officer would go there but it would be a, a lot of the police officers are trained now if they are going to check out a situation that could be a suicide they are a little more gentle and um comforting where they would offer to take that person to a hospital because especially if the person – if you aren't even in the same city or state that they live in, because a lot of times you may – they may say, oh, I'm all right, and then hang up. Then you're going to be up all night thinking about whether or not they really are. So I think that they need to get connected up with someone who is close to them immediately because some people are more suicidal than what they will say. They might say they're thinking about it when they have their gun or whatever sitting right next to them. So you don't know exactly, especially if it's a phone call, how close. But you can ask them if they have a plan. And if they have a plan, then you want someone over there as fast as you can get someone to try to de-escalate them. That's a, a medical emergency. It is. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, that. People wouldn't ever say, oh, I'm going to decide if you've lost enough blood or not before we go to the emergency room. <laughs> right. They'd say, well, let's get the emergency room and let them tell us if you've lost enough blood or not to worry. And, but that's, I think, the point is, you, you know, we do need to do something now. Well, for Rob, Rob, are you still there? Yes. I mean, if, if your friend, if, if Rob's friend was, say, uh, lived around the corner or down the street, would it be reasonable for him to say, well, wait a minute, I'm going to come right over. Let's talk about this. Would that be a reasonable response? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Okay. But it seems like then a, a, <clears throat> an important follow-up that, to that then would, would be to make sure, even if you have to drive him yourself, to get, make sure he gets in contact with a mental health professional because depression isn't going to go away just if you have a lovely chat with him. And, you know, that it's, it's much bigger than that and longer term. And, you know, I think one conversation would be a Band-Aid and you might get him through that afternoon, but it's not gone. It's it's going to be you know and depression is very cyclical. It just keeps going around and around. So you know I think that connection with a mental health professional is is just an absolute must in a situation like that. 
You had mentioned earlier about a talk line, and I wasn't able to catch that number. Could you repeat that again? Uh, yes, it's 1-800-273-TALK. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Good luck. All right. Thanks a lot for the call, Rob. 855-0811-877-285-9348. And you can join us on the website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. I wanted to ask uh, if if someone out there called that helpline, what are they, what, what they going to find on the other end? They're going to have a nonjudgmental uh, listener who will give them straight advice. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I, and all the people I know now that answer hotlines, if they're through uh, Center Stones Crisis Line, through Bloomington Meadows, any of the national ones, you know, are trained specifically in crisis intervention techniques and how you uh, can de-escalate people or go through the questions and, you know, is anybody there with you? Do you have, you know, you have any firearms? Have you ever tried to hurt yourself before? And some of the the risk factors help you make the assessment. You know, if someone's tried before, they're more likely to try again. Uh, you, you know, there's like we mentioned, there's sex before and, and drug abuse and chronic illnesses. That can be a, a big factor for lots of people. Mm-hmm. All right. We have another phone call. Let's go back to the phones. And it's Wayne this time. Wayne? Hi. May, may I ask whether, whether public schools are still requiring classes which present suicide as an option for young people. I, I remember it was a mini scandal at Columbine High School in, in uh, Colorado. Remember, Columbine High School was where that terrible um, massacre of students was ho- held. And in, and in uh, investigating the background of, of, of that massacre, it was found, it, by the way, it was mostly covered up, but it was discovered they had a, they had a kind of a suicide class. The, Suicide was made in a, a, a viable. It was presented to the students as a viable option, and it was also d- then later discovered that quite a few high schools had these, shall we call them, suicide classes. Also, it, it, there was a model law drafted by the University of Iowa, and, 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 and the College of Law at the University of Iowa, which allowed patients uh, allowed parents to request that their children be killed up to age six, and also allowing children to request to be euthanized from age six without parental consent. If, if, if somebody says he has a disease which will eventually be fatal, he, he was allowed to request euthanization. And uh, now this, Wayne, this, Wayne. this law was never actually put into effect, but it was a model law. Yeah, Wayne, I'm going to ask uh, our panelists if they have any uh, comment on any of this. And I also, you know, kind of wonder where your sources are on this. I've certainly never heard anything like that about a curriculum in the public schools or private schools or anywhere. I haven't either. Um, If I would suggest if anyone hears of something like that, to have their children removed from that classroom and downplay anything like that. I mean, there are enough students out there. They could go anywhere on on the web and find out about how to kill themselves. We as adults don't need to reinforce that in any way. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are times when you'll see a tele- some you know police procedural television show where a bunch of kids have a suicide club or something like that. But I I I mean I don't I've never heard of anything like Wayne was talking about, and I read quite no, a bit about I, Columbine, so mm-hmm. I, I don't know where he's getting his information. Eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight wfiu dot org slash noon edition. Um, so there are you know many many things that that might indicate that somebody is in trouble. Again, can we go over some of the some of the, the things you should look for? I know, uh, Doctor, you were talking about. You know, um, appetite, things like that might change. I, I've, I've, I, I sometimes, I mean, this is not funny at all, but sometimes you'll see somebody who's lost a whole lot of weight and it's, it, it seems as if it's a depression diet or something mm-hmm. um, that somebody, and, and I, I actually, we had a colleague at our um, office at the Herald Times, we've written about her several times, who really was wasting away to almost nothing and she was planning to kill herself and instead she, um, killed her minister, and some people here might be familiar with that case. She's been in prison for quite some time, but 
looking back on that, you could see her sort of wasting away and just it, it was uh, you know now I can see the signs. But well, I, I didn't mention the word anhedonia, but that's loss of pleasure in usually pleasurable activities, and that's probably the easiest one for I think for most family members and friends to notice. You know, somebody. Uh, used to enjoy fishing, and they haven't had the boat out this year. And well, you know what's up that you that you that used to be. Mm-hmm. And so many of those things just get put aside. And then if somebody's at home on the couch, or um, you know, like you said, not eating, doesn't have any energy, mm-hmm. uh, not doing their activities, those are all all big tips. Mm-hmm. Or stop grooming, you know, personal oh, yeah. grooming, give up on that. Just you know. I know mm-hmm. that's sure. one that I've seen before. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we mentioned earlier uh, some of the servicemen who are coming back. Uh, and I'd like to get back to that topic because I think we've heard a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder and, and what that might lead to. Again, do you have some um, advice, some some information you could share, both of you could share with uh, people who maybe are, are in a family of a serviceman, service person, serviceman or woman who's come back or who's some, somebody who has just returned from Iraq or Afghanistan? Beyond what's available at veteran services and things like that? I mean, well, I, and you can also share what's available at veteran services. Well, so. you know, I, I'm not sure I can say specifically what's there. Okay. I just know that they have, have bulked everything up. They've tried to put in place many more things than they ever had. Um, you know, when I uh, worked at veterans hospitals as a resident, um, it was after Vietnam and there was practically nothing like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you compare that to today and I know that they have in every town uh, with any kind of services, they include post-traumatic stress information and family information and mental health services and it is being propped up, supported, funded mm-hmm. to be more important all the, all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I know for me, I um, had post-traumatic stress disorder, and when I went to a survivor of suicide group, and I had mentioned earlier, I wanted to connect with someone who I saw who was happy again. Well, at the end of it, I ended up kind of cornering this facilitator, and I said, what, what's the bottom line? Because I did not – I saw years and years of just pain. And again, the, the suicidal mind will either feel like they have to get out of it permanently, that is always going to be there. So I think for veterans um, to have hope, you don't ever want to lose hope, even if it's a, gr- a grain of salt-sized hope, and that – that they, that if they can keep that, and then um, for me, I needed anyway. When I cornered the person and I asked the bottom line, he said forgiveness, mm. and that is a tough word to hear. When I mean, I had so much guilt that I was taking on for this. I had nightmares. I saw myself in courtrooms being being, you know, said you're guilty of killing, you know, this man. Well, they have been trained as soldiers to go over there. I feel that they probably have a lot of that guilt as well. Um, and I, all I could say to them would, would be to get with someone who can help them work on forgiveness of self because they obviously got into the military for a lot of different reasons, and some of the main ones would be to help protect our country. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad thing Motive, to want yeah, to do. Right. Mm-hmm. What do you? What do you? Each of you do. How do you react when you'll hear? I'm sure that, that there have been many, many people who've said after someone close to them commits suicide, kills kills himself or herself. Um, well, boy, I sure didn't see that coming. You know, is that? I mean, does does that make you think? Well. Maybe you didn't, but maybe you should have been paying closer attention or <laughs> something along those lines. For me, I mean, I felt kind of blindsided because there had been a lot of anger. Well, I think, too, when a person is depressed, a lot of times that is an anger toward inward, inwardly anyway. And it comes out in a rage. Well, 
when you're raging at someone, the person who is the recipient of the rage sort of backs off. And if that is a particular case, then they're cutting their their lifelines because the people are afraid to get back with them. So there's there's that component that that I can speak to. You know, at the time it happens, I, I think the answer is I'm sure you didn't see it coming. Right. You know, it's not the time to be confrontational sure. or sure. anything. My uh, my personal uh, experience with that is I, when I was a resident in psychiatry down at Louisville, we had one of our child psychiatry fellows commit suicide during the time. So here were roughly 40 psychiatrists in training plus the entire faculty of the department who didn't see it coming. Right. And so it's, you know, the, I think the, the thing that's really important at some point for family members to hear is you're just not that smart. You're, you, you don't read people's minds. You're not that powerful. Mm-hmm. It just simply happens. Uh, now, if we can get as much of the other 99% educated and willing to come forward and get help before then, great. But there's probably going to be some we just don't see coming. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think uh, – so uh, the percentage of, of people that actually um, do commit suicide are – would you say that every one of them has some mental illness, whether it's depression or something else? I think they'd certainly qualify the criteria mm-hmm. yeah, at the time, yeah. <clears throat> now, what about the thing um, they always say, oh, well, if someone tells you they're going to kill your, themselves, they're not. They're just attention-seeking. Well, statistically, that's not a very good good thing to follow. Uh, well, more than half give some kind of uh, tell someone, leave a comment, leave us something in advance of the time. So, you know, it's there's some that um, let you know, and again, some that that don't. I would think you should take that seriously. Oh yeah, somebody says something like that. Okay, we have two phone calls. So let's try to get them both in. We've only got about six minutes to go. Let's go to Mark first. Mark, hi. Hey, Mark. Um, yeah, I read a book recently by, I think it's Mark Eklund called Or Not To Be. Mm-hmm. It's a collection of suicide notes, and, and it kind of breaks them down. And the one common denominator among them all, or among most of them, was uh, seemed to be a theme that the suicide felt like, you know, their being out of the way was the solution to everybody in their lives' problems. And so I think that, you know, from this side, when we look at a suicide, I hear a lot of people say, well, he was selfish, you know, or a coward, or... Or whatnot, and you know, we, we really don't know, you know, the the other side, mm-hmm. and um, so it kind of bothers me sometimes to hear people being hard on someone when, um, as you've said, you know, the depression does strip reality away layer by layer, and so when someone's isolated alone with their depression, um, the solutions that they they think are viable are, you know, kind of become absurd, and it leads them down this path. We just don't know, but. Um, you know, um, it uh, it just troubles me to hear people talk about uh, them taking the the coward's way out. And I think we should give them credit that you know they may have felt in their mind that this was the brave thing to do for everyone involved, and and that their sacrifice was going to actually um, make their survivors' lives better. Mm-hmm. As Mark. It may have been. Yeah, Mark, we really appreciate your call. It is, uh, it's always, you know, diff- people shouldn't be making judgments about individuals who are involved in situations like this. And I, I applaud you for calling in. Do you guys have a reaction? No, I appreciate yeah. that comment sure. too. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go to Rose. Rose? Um, yeah, I'll make this real quick. I know we're out of time, but um, I've never attempted suicide, but I've pretty much suffered through my entire life with depression until I realized that, you know, it was wise to approach it as a medical condition, not a character flaw, which, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. given that I'm in my 60s, it, you know, for many, many years was looked at as that and not as a medical condition. And I would encourage anyone who is suffering from chronic depression to try to look at it that way and seek help, definitely seek help. And in terms of antidepressant um, drugs, you know, pharmaceuticals, there are many, many, many different ones. And, you know, I tried, I don't know, eight, ten, a dozen before I finally found one that was compatible with me. And I guess I I just like to give some encouraging words that, you know, don't give up, you know, keep trying and um, don't try to do it on your own. Depression is something that does not 
generally go away on its own. And um, I think people generally attempt suicide when they have lost hope. And, you know, if you can keep a glimmer of hope and keep trying and seek help and uh, try not to look at yourself as, you know, what's wrong with me any more than, you know, if you had a liver disease. Um, I think that's really important because I... I have a genetic, I'm sure, my father was suffered depression, you know, two of my sisters, some of my cousins, and if you just think of it as a chemical imbalance in an organ, which happens to be your brain, you know, I think it's a lot easier to approach it um, positively and objectively, so that's my comment. All right, Rose, more good, more good comments. We really appreciate it. Reaction to that? Oh, just so very true. Um, every you know day that happens, we get better medicines, better treatments. Um, one of the government studies right now that's going on is is the largest we've ever had. And one of the things that has come out very quickly is that if you follow a community and check how many prescriptions for antidepressants are written in that community, as the number of prescription goes up, the suicide rate goes down. They're they're inversely proportional. So that they're if you you know, you're intervening with people, checking them for medicine, and at the same time affecting the suicide rate. Mm-hmm. All right. We just have a minute to go. So, again, I want to give you the opportunity to sort of make any last point you want to make. And also, we should read that phone number again. It's 1 800 273 TALK, and TALK is 8255. Correct. Yes. And for anyone who is a survivor, who would like to join with other survivors, I would um, welcome. Uh, you to go to the AFSP.org website um, and be a part of the Out of the Darkness Walk. We have one coming up in Bloomington. Our last one was October 10th, and in 2010, it will be um, October 9th. So be a part of the prevention and leave, help leave a legacy that you're going to you know, help other people. Okay. And, Doctor, we're out of time. I wanna, <laughs> thank I wanna, you for having us on. Yeah, I want to <laughs> thank uh, Dr. Jonathan Beavers and D. Burt for being here with us today. For Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Ariana Prothero, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Closets 2, providing organized and expanded closet and storage space for home, office, and garage using a variety of systems with no major renovations. Closets 2, owned and operated in Bloomington, 332-2233. Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering pizzas, pasta dinners, and wings with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com, 332-4495 for delivery.